is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep. Never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and in this podcast, we take a deep dive into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta. And in this episode, we talk to Peter Bromka. Peter is somebody that you may know very well. He is an exceptional writer about running, all things running, really. Uh, and in this episode, we talk about his recent performance at the California International Marathon, where he crossed the line just after the 219 mark that would have brought him to Atlanta. It was a heartbreaking uh, finish for him and for so many people who've been followed Peter's, who've been following Peter's progress over the years and you know, he's just such a great guy. It broke a lot of people's hearts to see him get that close at age 38 and ultimately not get there. However, with that said, the grace that Peter showed after the race was just simply awe-inspiring and made me want to get him on this show as soon as possible. And I'll just tell you what, he did not disappoint this episode is one of the most powerful episodes I've ever recorded. So I've, at this point, done between three different podcasts, uh, 300 episodes or so. Um, not only do I do this podcast, I have the Rambling Runner podcast. And way back in the day, I started the Providence College podcast. And this may be the most emotional podcast I've ever recorded. Peter is a wonderfully thoughtful person with a deep respect for the sport. And he just brought so much insight into not only this performance, but the time he has spent training uh, for years now. And it was really uh, just an honor and a privilege to talk to him about all of that. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode and this conversation with Peter. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And as someone who's been a big fan of your writing for such a long time, it really is a pleasure for me to talk to you and with the California International Marathon, just you know, just under a week past, I really appreciate you coming on. And I'll tell you what: when you thought about what the week after this race would feel like, um, no matter the result, could you imagine the positive outpouring that you have have received? Oh man, it's been overwhelming. Um, I mean, I've had some really fun adventures and some really fun races over the past couple of years, um, but this one, like really almost has broken my brain um the yeah just the variety I, I mean i hope everyone who sent me a message knows like i've been screenshotting them all um i just it's one of those things you're can't really make sense of it in the moment and then you also know you want to hang on to it and be able to look back at it forever basically absolutely and i know for a lot of people myself included it was that initial response from you talking about having a full heart um, that I think touched a lot of people uh, in a very sincere way because you have lived your running life, especially since you wrote your your burn the boats uh, post where you, you where you declared how you were going all in uh, to try to get an OTQ and you identified how you were going to do it. And we'll talk about that post uh, in a little bit more detail in a second. But. Once that had happened and you were very, you were really living this process out loud, it really got to the point where this journey was, was more than just yours. Did, did you feel that at all, either in the buildup during the race or after the fact? Uh, you're going to make me choke up. Um, 
the I definitely did. Um, and it was interesting because I would get contacted from people all over the world saying, I'm rooting for you. Um, and it was interesting how different messages from different people hit me. Um, I really appreciated all of them. I mean, I a lot of people, I always say to people, regardless of what pace you're running, I truly believe, like if you're, what I associate most closely with is the runners who have a goal and are going for that goal and then are going through the process of unpacking that goal and really like grappling with it um more so than any just running at one pace or another um so i really appreciated when people would say you know you saying that you wanted to go for the odq and saying you were going to take steps to get there has helped me think through how i'm going to approach my goal um and i'm at this life stage or i'm coming at running from this direction and those are amazing to hear and they were always unexpected um and so I really appreciated them. The, th- the ones, though, that, to be honest, that really got me were the ones from... <sighs> I didn't think I was going to... I've pretty well processed this the last couple of days. I didn't think I was going to be emotional. Um, let me just take a deep breath. Um, the, what got me was the guy, the guys who reached out, who I consider my peers, who I could tell, like, really, really wanted to be in my position. <laughs> Um, and so I, I got messages from guys because I've been on this journey where I've gotten faster over the last five years and I've essentially picked up peers along the way and gotten to meet people from all the different clubs. Um, so then to get messages from people, you could tell they were taking my goal as seriously as if it was their life. Like they wanted, they wanted to believe it was uh, possible, and so I just really appreciated um, them saying that. And I would have people check in in different ways, different timing, um, and I could tell that it just meant a lot to them because I think it's sort of I I very much associate with being that type of runner who is a club runner um, so far from the pros, but also like has competed enough that it's not a new thing. Um, And you just think like, I I feel like without intending to really, I kicked open this door to like, wait, maybe this is actually possible. And I got to see a lot of my peers imagine. And then I also got to see, hear from a lot of peers who they know that realistically that, window on their life has closed um and so that's why they were rooting for me for any number of like totally valid life reasons they have moved on and it's not realistic and so i felt immense in a totally positive way i felt immense pressure and opportunity that i was still hovering in this moment yeah it's almost as if you're at this you know this venn diagram where there's these you know there's three or four circles and you're kind of standing in the middle of it Right. The people who are trying to get some sort of qualifying goal, whether that's OTQ or Boston qualifying or, you know, a handful of others. And like the people you just mentioned, right, the the different peers that you've amassed along the way as you continue to progress and get faster and faster at the marathon. And, you know, the, the people who, again, like you just mentioned, who, you know, try to kind of like, you know, you're almost an avatar for how they want to be at this moment, but they're not currently there for, you know, one reason or another. And as a fellow, um, 38 year old, 
who I also played Division Three sports. I, I've been right there with you in some ways because uh, I'm kind of in that last bucket, not as a high-level runner, but as a 38-year-old Division Three athlete who took athletics very seriously. And seeing you go through this has been so enlightening. And let me just first, first of all also say that I don't think that the connection that you've created with these folks, um, which has really been a two-way connection, isn't necessarily around the OTQ specifically. It's just this idea of going for this high-level threshold goal and your ability, and I think this is the key part, your ability to communicate not only what that goal means, but how you're approaching it. And you're obviously a gifted writer and communicator and, and really getting through it. And and that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this post, this burn the boats post that you put up where you, you know, where you, where you really dive into like, okay, I'm going for it. And you really you and you and you talk about it, but it's obvious when you're writing that when you wrote this, that you're it almost sounded like you're trying to talk yourself into it at the same time. It was like almost <laughs> totally. like part declaration and part like self hypnosis. Oh, that's funny that you say that because I mean the reaction to that piece was overwhelming, um, almost it's unexpected because I typically I got started writing essentially race reports. Um, and I've done a handful of those over the years, and people really enjoyed my race reports from uh, Chicago 2014, Boston 2016, Boston 2017. Um, and then, you know, I wrote one for CIM uh, 2017 when a bunch of my teammates and I ran 223, um, and that really, like, opened up this moment in our life and made us think about us our running differently because it made the OTQ somewhat possible, um, maybe. And that's when I, so it, and I wrote a race report about that, that I really, I'll, I love going back to them because for me, that's like, um, how I process the experience. And then I'll also how I save, hang on to it, uh, as a memory. And then, I mean, I think I wrote Burn the Boat mostly on my phone, um, a lot on a plane as I was going through this experience of, like you're saying, trying to make sense of it, talk myself into it mentally, really thinking through the steps it was going to take physically. And I didn't really know, but I was just sort of laying out my best estimation of what it might take. Yeah. And leading into that, you just mentioned the 223, uh, heading into that California International Marathon, you had joined the Barrowman Track Elite Group. Which is as you got as you put it on the House on the Run podcast, where you're not professionals, but you try not to be unprofessional, which is a great <laughs> line. I love that. Um, and before that, and you mentioned it in the post, you had basically set five five minute PRs, and you were basically tasked with doing that again, this one more time. And obviously, as you've gotten faster, you know, five. It's, it sounds like all right. Well, it's just another five minutes, but obviously a percent increase is a totally different matter. Um, <laughs> so uh, it seems like now you, you, you really approach th this race with, you know, very mindful um, and, and in a very gracious and positive way. But it's interesting. I feel like with this, with this post where there's like this section in the middle, which is almost like, like an ode to my haters, either real or <laughs> where it's like, I'm going to read it if you don't mind. I'll oh, please do. This winter at the Cal International Marathon, a train of dreamers will leave the station on 2.18.59 pace and I'll be on it because I can. And here we go. Even if I probably can't. Everyone I know says I can't. The timetables look grim. My competitors will likely scoff at the very notion and my friends 
Those who have hung up their flats and see the sport more clearly from the outside, the haze of the ambition through supporting me steadily can't see their way to betting on my success. It's so unlikely that it's stupid. It's an absurd goal that I'm (laughs) neither talented enough nor focused enough to uh, achieve. But what if? And I love that. And I don't know if you had, had felt these pressures or external factors or if these were just your inner demons you know emptying out on the page even as you read it to me two years later i can see the faces of the people i was thinking of as i wrote those lines and you know some of them are my rivals and some of them are my closest friends in life um because i've had really good friends who have followed me along this journey um and i've run some marathons with them over the time but as i thought about putting out that i'm going for the otq i knew that they would be my closest supporters, but also like, oh man, this is, this is grim. Um, you know, what, it, what it's going to take is going to be really tough. Um, what I, I, one thing I like about that sentence that I want to reference back is the, the timetables because not everyone knows about these. There's just enough data of, from running over the years that there are like VO2 max tables where they equate relative performances to one another. Um, and what I love about the marathon is I basically broke the table um, for the marathon <laughs> for myself. And it's allowed me to go like way further. Um, there's just such an X factor in the marathon. There's so many forces at play. And so um, if I look at all the times that I should be able to run it, like the mile, the 5K, the 10K, the half marathon, um, I haven't really come close to those. But then... I hit a marathon time um, and it's like, wait a second. And so there's just something magical to that um, for me. But certainly um, even two years ago, I looked at those tables and I thought, oh gosh, this is a lot of work. Yeah. And you had had a lot of success and improvement. You know, you mean you, you were a very good runner to begin with. Let's let's make that part clear. But you had still improved at a pretty rapid rate at this distance for quite a period of time. With that said, you also frame that moment where you're where you you know finally decide okay i'm going to do this as this paradigm shifting moment so with that being the case how has the way that you've approached running either you know from a training perspective um you know cross training mental training all of those things how has that changed in the nearly two years since you made this decision oh it's a good question um it's been a pretty steady progression um, it's gone like knock on wood, um, so fortunate, um, r- roughly according to plan. Um, my, my mileage has steadily increased. Um, I do a similar weight training routine that I used to do, but, um, continue to do more with more weight. Um, I, someone said to me, I forget when in this, that he's like, man, back when I was that fit, we did a hell of a lot of running at 5.15 pace. Um, and for some reason, that just stood out to me as like, yeah, that's what it's going to take. I'm going to spend a lot of my Saturdays, a lot of early mornings running at a pace that um, I've never done before. And so that was around that time that I wrote the piece. I, was, I knew that was in my future. And sure enough, I have. Um, and so I... I feel extremely fortunate that I am have been mostly injury free. Um, 
I'm very self-aware of my body and what it needs at this point in my life. And I spent most of college like pretty burnt out and pretty um, super inspired, but the body was pretty broken. And so someone said on some other podcast, like there's this moment in your life where the windows align and you know yourself, but you still have ability. And I thought that was a great way to describe the moment I'm in. Um, so I've been super fortunate. And I'll, I say fortunate and I because I know it's like this layer of even if you even the best laid plans um, have to change. Um, but my teammates and I, particularly my sort of like teammate coach, Patrick Reeves, we lay things out like very uh, considered. They're extremely considered. Um, and there's this balance of it being coaching, but also not coached because we know that we each need what we need. Um, and it's on us to consistently check back in with how well we're recovering, how well we're doing. So, I mean, the plan from that point on, we all consciously decided to skip any spring marathons to focus on a half marathon because we knew, so this is um, the spring of 2018, we knew we had to get our half time down. I PR'd by about a minute at the Eugene Half Marathon, um, which was, a, again, a great moment, but still like we were going to have to split not that much slower uh, six months later at CIM 2018. So it's like it was all these steps along the way. Um, none of them ever felt like particularly they felt great to check off and you're like, wow, that was amazing. And also it, it doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing that you have also mentioned before is that the, the investment in this goal is not simply a monetary one. And there, there's that aspect, certainly. Um, but, you know, in terms of time and relationships and things like that. So how have you been able to, um, at your best, and we can also talk about maybe when things weren't quite as smooth, been able to <laughs> yeah. balance, you know, the, this huge time commitment and investment um, while also, you know, having, you know, a family life and a job and things, things along those lines, which also require, you know, this, that same amount, if not more time, um, and which ultimately are, are things that you're going to want to sustain for maybe even a longer period of time. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I've, I've sort of philosophized this with my friends because we have so many miles to cover. And it's like, uh, for me, I can't do anything for too, too long if I'm thinking about it as, um, as like I'm sacrificing. Um, like oh, I'm giving, I'm not doing what I would love to do for this. Um, that's just not what motivates me. So the way I've set up my life and the way I've spent, when I'm truly training, I run six days a week. Um, I've increased and added doubles over the last year and a half. Um, so that's, you know, maybe like nine to 10 runs. Um, I, I typically run enough on Saturday that I don't run on Sunday. And that's my time to really spend time with the family and also uh, recover. I do a little weightlifting. But like, it's this idea of dialing in your life such I, I just feel super fortunate that I'm able to have friends uh, that I can run with and get that social time. I first, you know, there's an X factor of like just internal energy. I always say to people like, if this didn't all add, add up, it would make total sense to me. Like the fact that I get up at uh, 5 a.m. to go run for 12 or 13 miles and then try to double later at lunch, um, that doesn't have to like actually work out but it, so far um the way i built up to it it has um but i don't think of it as sacrifice because i was i was telling a friend um like a perfect day for me a perfect saturday is get up um go and do like a crazy long run hard workout with my friends come home 
my wife and son will have like gone to the farmer's market and done some activities. And then I'll, you know, sync back up. My friends are always like, oh, I can't wait to go watch football. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I'm just going to try to put on, um, you know, pretend I have more energy. And then I eat as much as I can. And I pretty much eat the rest of the day, but still like spend that Saturday with my son is my, I, you know, dream of a Saturday. It's my ideal. Um, and so I don't really see it as a sacrifice in any way. And even my wife um, has bristled at the, at the phrase like, oh, she's a hero or, oh, she's a champion. Um, because even she said, you know, like, I appreciate one-on-one -on -one time with our son. And um, I don't want people to think that you're out here taking advantage of my time or my goodwill. Um, she said to me, like, we talk about it a lot. Um, uh, my goals, the family's goals, uh, her goals, and, you know, how to balance them. But I, I don't, we wouldn't want anyone to think that somehow, um, I'm putting this in front of our marriage or, you know, me as a father. Um, it's definitely not the most common way to balance life, but um, it, we're making it work and it's been pretty wonderful. Now, how have you balanced the, you know, for the love of the game type feeling with running, with also being goal focused and, you know, having not only a goal that, you know, people are aware of and that you talk about openly, but a goal that also, you know, is something that, you know, it's not as if like it's a BQ goal where you could try it every year, right? There's, <laughs> there's, there's these four year cycles with your goal, which, which makes it much more time intensive and, and time dependent. So how have, how have you been able to, to, you know, kind of manage both sides of that? Um, it's funny you use the word manage because I think it is manage. And at the same time, like about a month ago, I, I took a little bit stock of the situation. I'm like, man, I'm pretty deep into this now. <laughs> like here I was running a hundred miles a week in six days, um, week after week and like staring down the final weeks to the race and being like, how did I get here? Um, I'm happy I'm here, but wowzer, like careful what you ask for. Um, and to me, all of it makes sense because um, I have teammates who are also doing it. And then I have teammates who are injured and, you know, are trying to do it. And I'm able to see how, how much they're struggling. And, you know, it makes me feel thankful. It makes me feel like, oh, I'm doing okay. You know, like it's actually coming somewhat easily for me. So I have people write me from all over the world. I have people who say like, I work 90, mile, 90 hours a week um, and I'm having trouble fitting all the running in. And I say like, I totally understand that. It might not, it might not be in the cards. Um, I feel super fortunate to have work that's flexible enough that, you know, al allows for me to do it at a laptop and then make the hours work. But I, it absolutely doesn't need to add up in the same way, or, um, it, it might not add up for some people, um, in terms of just like the commitment to it and being out there, there's a simplicity to like meeting up with my teammates for workouts on Wednesdays and then on Saturdays. Um, and I always say we, you do all the other running to try to give yourself as much oxygen during those two days with your friends. Um, because I have friends who've run a lot of mileage and I've been able to see how well it's paid off for them. And so like, I, I sometimes think it's fun to abstract it to like, this is our hobby and this is something we're trying to do. And I have friends who golf and I have friends who ride bikes. Um, it's like some of my friends are badass marathoners and it's like they can hit a trick and 
I want to be able to hit that trick. And so I have learned from them what it takes uh, to build up to attempting that trick. Um, and that makes it a lot simpler in my mind rather than this. Um, I don't think about the abstract or the sort of goal that I've thrown out into the world all that often. I think more about um, the next six weeks that we have laid out and how much work that is and how hard those workouts are going to be. And so how do we do all the right things to lead up to that? Now, did you ever expect to be as well-versed as you are this week in the difference between gun time and chip time? <laughs> um, I just can't even process how absurd it is. Um, two years ago, my dad looked at some posting um, about gun time to chip time, and he messaged me, like, stand towards the front. Uh, <laughs> Um, and I, uh, and I messaged back like, yeah, I know, I know. But, um, the, at the same time, there is a, there's a chip time and in, in, you know, is it really going to come down to that? (laughs) Um, so in, even in the past three days, I've had people say, you know, I actually know I've run with Joey, um, Joseph, who's the last qualifier currently and his gun time is to 1901 and his chip time was below uh he had a story written about him online and I, I i've run cim with him in the past so i know of him and you know i fully understand the the workings of how fast he ran in indianapolis this fall and how it's you know three seconds different than mine <laughs> yeah you guys ran the same pace spoiler alert <laughs> um, <laughs> And that's, that, that, that was the difference. Um, but <laughs> three seconds over 26.2 miles. Um, so, you know, you, you, you mentioned like, you know, last month you, you, you were in that moment of like, okay, you know, like this is happening. I'm in it. The moment has now come. Um, so as you were preparing for race day, what was your sense of how fit you were and what was the race strategy that was coming from that idea? Oh, interesting. Um, so I've tried to describe this in the past, but because I got into marathoning really by doing Boston, I mean, I started marathoning five years ago because the Boston bombing happened and a bunch of my buddies and I said, we should run Boston 14. And so I qualified, um, and then, um, got injured qualifying cause it was super short notice, but then I've run Boston three times since and Boston, although some people can negative split it, it lends itself to a positive split. Um, because the hills are harder and the downhills are easier. And so if you can manage it, I've run some good times while also positive splitting. Um, so in the past, that's also led to I've positive split CIM twice. And <laughs> while people give me a, people who know CIM and are from the area, like give me a hard time about that. Cause they're like, Oh, come on, man. Like you got the rollers and then you got the flat and it, it's amazing to negative split it. Um, and I, there's a, but there's like a dreaming element to going out and seeing like how thinly you can slice it if you're not as if you're not that fast a guy like me. Like if you're looking at your marathon PR, you're like your half marathon PR. You're like, how closely could I come to that and still hang on? Um, and so I 
this year, last year I went out in um, 68 minutes and 48 seconds, and I slowed down to 2.19.40. Um, so a decent positive split. Um, and so this year we were fairly committed to going out easier. Um, and I, just knowing us, never believed we would split the half marathon from a six months ago, I didn't believe that we'd split it like tw right at 69.30, which is halfway for 2.19. Um, just because, and we we had a lot of these conversations in the final two days. I said, the thing about 5.18 pace is we don't like to see uh, 5.20s as a group of friends. Like we just don't, um, even though it's only two seconds, we'd much prefer to see 5.16, 5.15. But if you run a lot of 5.15s, you're actually running a different race. Um, so, Again, like I've posted about my training, the types of runs we do. Um, we don't go into these races with a whole lot of chance or a whole lot of hope um, for what we'll be able to glom together. And I'm actually like on the race day. I'm super impressed by I've gone deep into the articles about, you know, Parker Stinson or um, uh, like this is super interesting. Parker is a champ and I'm a huge fan of him being from Oregon um, and looking at some of his workouts and then what he did at Chicago. I was like, I don't know if I would have had the confidence to run what he did based on his workouts. If you just look at the numbers as relative, um, he really gets, I mean, we know he's a champion. He's a fiery guy and he, he puts it together and he really races. Um, but for instance, so we always do Three weeks before a marathon, we always do what we call dress rehearsal, which is essentially stolen from the Hansen's program, I believe, years ago. It's 26 kilometers or 16 miles at pace. And we almost always run that faster than pace because, you know, we get excited um, or it's just sort of what what occurs. Um, but it's a good, it's a time to practice. Um, and this year I ran 16 miles at 512 pace. So that kind of broke my brain only because it was not that hard relatively. It was so much faster. And I spent the last three weeks wondering like, what does the, what lies on the other side of that 10 miles? Um, so it gave me huge confidence and it also made me nervous because I didn't want to become overconfident, but I um, couldn't believe that I had just done it on the day. It's a huge achievement. Um, from a training milestone perspective and then also nothing it doesn't mean anything um because all that matters is the race but it's just to say that um i said on the eve of the race and on race day morning to my friends like i am so glad we do the dress rehearsal because absent that even though i've done a bunch of workouts that i've never done before i don't know i was using it as a mental backstop like whenever I would start to get nervous or afraid of the race, I would just immediately go there and and remember how well that went and then uh, and then go back to like focusing on the race. And so um, we had a lot of confidence, my teammates and I. We have a young guy who joined the team uh, and he he blew me apart the last two miles, last three miles of that 16-miler. Uh, he just absolutely took off so fast that I had a couple of teammates and the thing about distance running, if you're not on a track and there's no clock is like your teammates who are on the sidelines, um, who were doing some other workout, they don't really know how you're doing. So they were like clapping like, Hey, Hey Bronco, you're doing okay. Hang in there. 
Um, and I'm like, I am running so fast right now. Um, <laughs> but the, those are the things that we simulate. We set up a bottle table um, and we go around this two mile loop eight times and it had hills in it. It had downhills. And so it, it's all to say that there's not a, we don't arrive on the starting line um, with a whole lot of wonder about what's possible. And CIM, especially over the last couple of years, is such a unique race because of the large number of people aiming for the the OTQ, both men and the women, where on some level, race strategy can almost get thrown out the window simply, you know, even if you had a certain idea in mind, it almost seems as an outsider where you'd almost kind of abandon that and say, you know what, I'm probably just better off sticking with this group. Like I have the group effect going, there's like the wind, you know, if, if there is, if it does become windy, you kind of have that windshields as well. And just that, that positive feeling of, okay, we're all in this together. Like, does, does, did you catch any of that? And does that on some level trump a, um, even at a musical level, you know, any kind of race strategy that maybe you had would have come into the race holding? Um, yeah. And the fact that it was our third year at CIM in a row, um, we had definitely learned. So for instance, two years ago when we ran 223, we definitely had a moment of kind of like ego where we were running three abreast teammates. We looked over our shoulder and there was a huge pack behind us and we we're like, oh yeah, like we set the pace for this relative, for the pace we were going, which was about 530. Um, so we sort of laughed at ourselves this week, this past week. And I said like, hey, remember when we did that? We're not doing that this year. Like, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Like we will not be the ones breaking the wind at the front. We don't feel like we have, uh, that margin to give. Um, you know, I am all for teamwork. I am all for all these things, but knowing that eventually you're going to run all the miles, um, you're going to run some miles solo into the, into, you know, you're, you're going to lead your own miles. I just said like, I'm going to look for anyone to draft off of early because I just think it's, it's going to be close. Um, and so there was, a, the experience on Sunday was totally nuts. Um, last year was because it was the U S championships. You had all these great runners out front. Um, it lent itself to more of these micro packs, more of a stream of micro packs. Whereas this year, uh, there were two pacers, which was, um, Malcolm Richards, who was a really fast guy from the Bay. He, uh, was out there pacing, but really there was this, glom of uh, men and there's some videos of it and we're just flying along at one point around you, you start to head south um into the rising sun and i was like behind a wall of 10 men um and i just thought like this is the coolest thing ever it's the easiest running i've ever done um for a, quite a long time and there were moments along the journey where i thought like is this going to be like if I qualify, it would be amazing regardless, 100%. But like, is this almost going to be anticlimactic? Are we going to go across the line with like 30 guys together? You know, like, and everyone is going to just look at each other like, what the hell just happened? Um, <laughs> now, sure enough, it's the marathon and it it thins out and then it like totally fractures. Um, and it, um, you know, it was really, it was, a, it was one of the weirdest races I've ever been a part of because... Um, there was just so many men together um, and really, really late. So one thing I had really been mentally preparing for was how many people there were going to be around me in the same sort of spot of pavement um, for the first five miles because I f kind of figured anyone who wanted to 
with a hope and a dream, go out at OTQ pace, could make it five to seven miles. And I didn't want to get too thrown off by that. Um, so that's what I'd really plan for. But when I turned the corner and hit mile 14, 15, 16, and there was still this massive dudes, I was like, I just don't know where else this has ever occurred. At one point, I apologized to a guy who I just bumped into, and he just said, it's going both ways, man. Like, no worries. Because um, he, he had bumped me, and I'd bumped him. Um, but it it actually wasn't that bad because everyone was is super kind. We're all grabbing bottles and handing them around. Um, you know, people like, I've got noon, I've got Morton, um, and I've got water. Like it's it's pretty great. And so I, I had a bunch of hand, handful of te- a handful of teammates, and then a couple other men from the Portland area who were there. I, knew, I being a nerd of the sport, I knew a lot of the guys who were around me, um, and it was a really cool experience. Yeah, it's like I, I can imagine the kind of the funny the funny you know the the funny introspective moments maybe earlier in the race or in the first half where you're looking around like okay like once a mile there's like a chorus of gps clicks Mm -hmm. right or like you know the the alarms the alarms have been hysterical to hear like the one person's gps is like a little bit off and like 10 seconds (laughs) lagging from the other people um or just like looking around and being seeing like the sea of miami miami vice shoes like the pinks and oh, the greens yeah. and all that. <laughs> it must have just been so funny from from time to time just getting like this idea of like, wow, like th- this is just one big pack of dudes. You're like, we're all <laughs> doing the same thing. We're all dressed the same on some level and we're probably all so different. But it, it is such a it's such a, an odd and kind of spectacular thing for both the men and the women at that race. Yeah, I've definitely seen photos of the women's pack in here. Um, the it sounds like a pretty awesome experience. Um, the, just like consistently there's been some really large packs at races for the women and they've really some, you know, worked together and had great camaraderie. We had a, a lot of that this year. Now was there, um, obviously everyone's taking it seriously in your group, right? You all have a very similar, you know, goal and time goal. Um, so what was it like from a chatter standpoint within the group? Um, as the race progressed, was there a lot of chatter? Cause obviously, you know, you're, you're all, um, I guess you have such a big group. You all have like, obviously, uh, aligned interests. You probably know a lot of the people in there, but it's also something that you're trying to take seriously. So what was the social, the social nature of the group? Oh, it's an interesting question. Um, not a ton of chatter, a lot of like slip remarks you know early you're trying to stay calm and so we had a fir- one of our bowerman elite uh teammates julian henniger he qualified um and he's a very talented runner um it was his first marathon you know seeing him afterwards he's like how do you guys do this <laughs> and we're like well you get to do another one in three months um <laughs> so when he he didn't have a qualifying time so he um ran he found us from the general start he worked his way up from the general start, you know, only a handful of seconds behind. But then he was like, what's up, boys? And we're like, hey, good to have you. Um, so a little bit of that. Um, and then more of just among the masses, there were certainly, you know, people saying like, we're good. Okay, we're, we're on. Um, I will say, th- particularly within the first, you know, five to 10 miles, a lot of the men around me are running so far over their head uh, that they don't have a lot of extra oxygen. They're, they're certainly not chatting. Um, but I, you know, there's people like from all over the country that I would slip like a, a, Hey to, and they, um, you know, maybe we'd never met in person, but we follow each other on Instagram or something like that. And 
it was a good mental distraction um, for the early miles where you really can't, if you're going to make it all the way, like you can't um, be that far over your skis. And so um, there were, we touched base occasionally. There was a, around mile like 17 or 18, I was running with Nick Roche, uh, a local Portland guy who runs for the Jacuzzi Boys, but he's a good friend of mine. And he, I felt him tug at my jersey. Um, and I, I kind of like snapped my focus and I realized, oh, I was surging um, to try to pe- catch a mini pack. It's as a, It was after the large pack had kind of fractured. Um, and I said, oh, thanks, thanks. Uh, you're right. There's no need to catch them right now. We were running about 5.14, 5.15 pace, um, you know, risking starting to go faster. Um, so there's there's little cues here and there. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, you by the end, you're just searching for like anything you um, anything you can construct that will keep your mind moving forward and keep you like fully locked in. So David Melly from Boston um, is he ran he's part of the tracksmith team so he was in like a uh, maroon half tights and a maroon sash i'd seen him sort of been tracking him ahead of me for miles and miles and miles and uh when i eventually passed him i was like come on melly um and he you know kind of just grunted back at me like yeah um but you're just looking for like could, who can i work with like how can we do this um and so you know even if you have never met before you're just like in that moment trying to find a teammate to get you to the line yeah and obviously you put everything you had into this race right there's not like you didn't cross the finish line and all of a sudden you're like you know what i had this this reserve that i could have like i mean you i saw i mean i've seen the video of you you know during the last hundred meters i mean you're obviously like kind of tying up but you're you're pushing as hard as you possibly can so you just mentioned that early in the race you felt great, right? You have this wall of 10 dudes in front of you. You were feeling awesome. When did the, again, you still ran an excellent race and you were able to really, you know, work hard. So when, when did, when did it go from, okay, I'm feeling good to all of a sudden you're going through that, that typical marathon feeling of, okay, I am extremely uncomfortable, but I'm still okay. Like when did that start to, to hit you? Um, it really, like with five miles to go, there's a bridge at 21 and a bit. Um, and coming off that bridge, I, there's a video of me somewhere going over that bridge. And I'm like, I don't look so hot. Um, you know, one of the benefits of having run the, run the race three years in a row is I didn't, I, I knew then I wasn't feeling that great or as good as I had felt five miles before. Um, again, we'd started to, I said, I, I forgot this actually. I said to Julian, at mile 15, I said, five more miles, then we can have some fun. Um, because I know he's a super fast dude and he was going to qualify as long as he could keep it together. And as long as he didn't surge too much at mile 15, there's a lot of talk of like, I felt great at 16. And you're like, well, sure. But like, save any <laughs> mental and physical energy for later. Um, just get right. It's, it's like, like I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You better feel good. Um, so I was as I unpack it, I'm super conflicted because I've run some really, um, like I've run Boston three times, Boston. I have a friend running in the spring and I was like, just remember from the beginning of this block, you will feel like trash and everyone feels like trash. And then it's what you can do with the trash that you have that will determine how, how well you finish Boston. Um, and I know this all relative, like you bonking is bonking. It's different than the legs kind of going to trash. But, um, I hit the riser 
to uh, the bridge at 21 and it hurt because it's uphill and it, um, I wasn't feeling as good as I had been, but it all, I, I mentally noted that I felt better than I did last year. Cause by that point last year I had slowed even more. I'd slowed to like about five twenty fives, then to five thirties. Um, and so it was a little surreal. And one of the things that I think will always haunt me about the race is I felt better than I've ever felt. Um, and so there was a bit of, I was telling my friend, there's a, there's a great video from last year with, um, a little over a half mile to go, my friend Paul Leak is screaming for me to fight for it. Um, and I was so maxed out at that point last year. I had slipped from 515 pace to about 540 pace. Um, and if you do that, you know, again, all these paces are relative. It doesn't really matter. It was just, it was physiologically different enough that I knew I was screwed and I had to do give it every single thing I had to um, to keep the pace respectable. And at that point I knew that OTQ last year was gone, but I was trying to make it under 220. Um, and so I was really pushing this year, like it hurt, but I was still running like 522 pace. And so I'm like, this is going okay. And I feel better like in this block. I recall this block from last year and I feel better than I felt last year. So, um, in the most surreal way, it really hurt. And I did really push, but it, um, I certainly wouldn't say it was anywhere close to the most painful marathon I've ever run. Um, and so that's like a weird thing to take away because you'd like to say, and people have said to me, you know, I know you were digging. Um, I know you gave it your all. And I don't think I didn't give it my all. Um, I don't have an answer for, Oh, this is the clear split that did it, did me in except for the, the last mile. I will say the, the video for me of the finish is always misleading because um it it was absolutely it was terribly terribly hard uh, i do a lot of weightlifting and like squats and every stride of the last 100 meters felt like doing a squat um and i was like in the moment with four seconds to go i was like man i'm glad i lift weights because this is that's all i'm doing right now i'm not i'm barely even running anymore i'm just like lifting my body weight um, can you can you imagine like six months ago while you're in a lifting session and someone would have told you that like four seconds from the line this is what you're going to be thinking about you would have been like you're nuts there's, there's no way yeah you're that totally that's cross you're my totally mind. insane um but though I, I it is totally insane and yet um like my dad's a huge um student of sports and the sport and so he'll send me articles from you know from tennis, from soccer, from golf. And he always likes to say like, you'll know, like athletes know what they can do almost always. So it's like, when, particularly in track and field, they'll set, um, there are, are, there are crazy records that, I mean, we're, we're totally nuts, but the high jump is the best example of like high jumpers. Typically, if they set a PR, like they've already done it in practice. Um, because they set up those scenarios. And so there've been times when I have, I broke 60 seconds for the quarter um, sometime this spring. And my teammates are like, how the hell did you break 60 seconds for the quarter? And I'm like, well, cause I lift weights. Like that's the only reason I'm able to do that still. Um, this many years later after, you know, being a teenager is because of weightlifting. And I figured that out a couple of years ago, I did some track workout and I was like, I have no idea why I should be able to run this fast uh, right now. And I realized it was because of some of the weightlifting I'd been doing. Um, 
because it sure as hell wasn't from like the easy mileage and it wasn't from the tempo sessions. Um, it was just so different. It's like t fully lactic. So what I'll say is a video of kicking, when you go from aerobic to slightly aerobic anaerobic to then fully anaerobic at the last quarter mile, um, you know, that that's what the end ballpark could look like no matter what, no matter how well you'd done those last, the previous 26. I mean, there's always the people who kick it in and they haven't really given it all. But all what I was saying is like, yeah, at the very least, I know I didn't leave a second and a half. Oh, because I should say races round up. So um, it's actually less than two seconds. <laughs> I mean, you, you round up to the closest second. And um, so I know that I didn't leave it out there in the last quarter mile because, I mean, in one of the most amazing moments of my entire athletic life, like my teammates were standing there at a quarter mile to go and they were like, you got to go, you got to go. Um, and so I like, I know absolutely I didn't have anything left in the final quarter. Um, I've obviously thought about mile 26, mile 25, mile 24 um, and really tried to you know, consider it at least, but, um, yeah, it's a long race. And as a student of the sport, obviously you are well aware that, you know, the, the domino effect, you know, like the whole butterfly effect of like, Oh, if I changed this, then I could have done it. But then you also unleash these other change of events, right? Oh, you speed up here or, Oh man, if I had taken a better line during this turn, you're like, yeah, but you also could have sprained your ankle. So like, you know, like <laughs> there, there's all of these unintended consequences that can, that can play a part. And the fact of the matter is you also set a huge PR on that day. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so let's, let's just talk about that finish line feeling, because I know that, you know, you obviously are, you know, the, these two huge emotions of like, you know, you have this goal you know, did you get it? Did you not get it? There's that uncertainty there. But you also had this feeling of like, you obviously had just had, from a marathon at least perspective, the race of your life, no matter what the you know extraneous connections are to thresholds, level goals, and things like that. Like just in a silo, you'd run the best you'd ever had. So what was that finish line feeling like for you? Um, to be honest, the finish line experience that I had felt like being trapped inside of a movie kind of um it was like watching it was almost like out of body like i let me out of this movie i want to have just like qualified it was like i mean i went to the i like crashed to the ground um as much emotionally for emotional reasons as physical like i finished and i probably could have stood there but i like couldn't even it's a really hard to mentally hang in that zone for over two hours um i find the mental side i think i'm both good at it and i find it infinitely harder than um the physical side because you're just so like you're running at mile and i've written about this like you're running mile eight and you want to be finished um you want like you're dreaming of the finish and you have to run that mile so to finish and then look at my watch and see um 21901 and then have friends like come over to me and um i was just so in shock about the absurdity of the situation um they were looking at me and i mean i've been at finish lines and watched the people finish i was there last year when that woman like crawled across the line and technically got her bib across the line right 
at uh, right under uh, 24500. Um, and the heard the whole crowd go, oh. Um, so I was just, I know enough about these moments that I like couldn't believe I was the character in that moment. Um, and then I was just trying to make sense of it all. I mean, I and it's one of those things where you know you understand the situation, but you're like, no. Like, no. Um, for what like n- no because it was different than last year last year i w- i saw my teammates who had qualified they looked at me and i just sort of signaled like shook my head i was like no i didn't get it but you know i i, I had re- been resigned to the fact i wasn't going to get it and i when i turned the corner it already said 219 um and so that, to turn the corner i had if there's anything I want to fault myself about, it's like I, I had pictured qualifying and I had, I had mentally run through what it would feel like to turn the corner with like 28, 218.15, maybe if we were cutting it close and then to come through. Um, you know, you like dr- dare to dream about like how would, what do you do with your hands? <laughs> like how do you celebrate? Um, and just gonna, to be so happy. And so to be there and be like not only – um, did I just find out that it wasn't going to happen? Cause I, I didn't know also to have chip and bib time, like, you know, the, the gun time was Oh five. And so everyone was like, Oh, he was over. But then to know that I actually hadn't, I really am not aggressive at the start line. I like want to find the pack. And so I knew that a couple seconds. And so sadly I had to live for, I don't know, any number of minutes or half hour being like, I mean, I think I counted to five a couple of times. And I was like, is it possible it took me five seconds to get to the line? You know, it's absurd. I was a CIM is an efficient operation, and they, uh, as an elite start, they got me right towards the front. Um, it was never going to take me five seconds to, to get to the start. Um, but last year, it had taken us five five seconds um, because we were not seated all the way up there. So, in a story, I'm sure my family will laugh about for ages, and my mom like. <laughs> can't believe she did it i got on the phone with my mom and she said uh like i'm so sorry and i said no thank you like um and i cried to her but also like thanked her um and then she said p like when did you know um (laughs) you didn't get it and i just i just said mom i can't talk like i like now like (laughs) i I don't like i i'm in the moment yeah 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 we are in the moment where you find out you didn't get it because i didn't ever slip like i I technically slipped and I, I mean, you know, sometime in the last three days I thought through like at 520 pace ish, 525 pace, let's say by the end, but then I'm kicking, um, how many feet is a second and a half, you know, like I was under the banner as it essentially passed. And so, or like within its presence. And so it's like this, not, it's so different than the, other races where you um you know you know and uh, um you, you have to have a moment of okay that a plus goal is gone but i'm gonna fight for the next goal this was like i was stuck in that moment i, mean, I kind of feel like i still am right no and I, and I, that, that makes a lot of sense you know that whole like feel like you're caught in a movie type feeling <laughs> the way you described it yeah you know, i thought it was really well put and i think anyone who's listening to this can imagine that and at the same time, Peter, you know, you're a storyteller, you're a writer, you're a student of the sport. You know, it's it's also, again, 
I would never be so bold or blasphemous to say that there's a silver lining and being two seconds over instead of two <laughs> seconds under. But I also know, and, and you're, and you've seen this many times in, across sports where people can, you know, can, can take that momentary, you know, tragedy within the sporting context, you know, and turn it into something else. And I think, you know, your ability to communicate, uh, about yourself and others, and in a way that I think a lot of people draw strength from and inspiration from. I know that it'll be something that you'll be able to use uh, to your and other people's benefit for a long time. Thank you. Um, I mean, it's funny because as a writer, somewhere in the mix of those moments or hours, I was almost rolling my eyes at myself, being like, "It's like a like you said, if it was a Hollywood script, you'd be like, oh, give me a break.'" <laughs> So then to know I write stories about races, I was like, come on, self, like, come on, Peter, that's absurd. Um, as though like in any way, shape or form, I slowed up to uh, make it more dramatic than less dramatic. Um, but just to be like, to be someone who thinks about the um, the poignancy of moments. And I had even had this kind of internal phrase on my mind, which was no story. Um you know, like I ran Boston as part of the elite start in the spring. And I was like, I want to soak in every moment and every picture in my mind because this is such a special day. And then for Sunday, I was like, it's not about the story. It's not, it's about executing. It's about, you know, um, doing all the things you've practiced, but it's not about um, the, you know, the highlight reel of the day. It's about getting the job done. Um, and so then for it to end like it did, I was like, oh my Lord. Well, I want to, one last thing just to throw your words at you again. This is, you know, where you, you know, this is something that you wrote a long time ago, you know, in the last year. Um, and just to see, you know, where, what your take on it is now. And the, the, the line that you used um, is racing 26 points. This is from the Marathon Owes You Nothing post, which got so much, which was really so well done. And a lot of people uh, took a lot from it. He said, racing 26.2 miles will break you. And that's the point, to see where you stand when you are exposed. And when you hear that line now, what's the, what's your, what's the first thought that comes to mind? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but, also, <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, it's true. I mean, we could talk endlessly about the, what the trials, I mean, that's why I've been, uh, what the trials represents, at, from both from the front of the pack to the middle of the pack to the back of the pack. Um, I mean, I'll... I think it's possible I've learned in this experience to really want a goal and really want to be something and also really understand yourself and know where you sit. So um, I, if I'm exposed and I am always like just on the outside, I also know the other handful of men who just missed and I'm extremely proud to be peers with them. I know how easily I could, they could be light years ahead of me and how much work it took to call them peers um like i just have interacted with them quite a bit i've seen their strength um i've deeply respected like their racing and been like man i'd love to race at that level so to be peers with them um is already just an insane achievement um i could talk endlessly about like the people i'm gunning with at the end of a marathon i have for my entire running life since i was a little kid felt I was not good as. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, there's, there's so many silver linings. Um, I could just go endlessly. I find that's like a bit indulgent. Um, but it's, 
it's part of sport. Um, so I, I, I take great appreciation in it. And, and I also know, I mean, I said to my wife, I said to any, several people who would listen, like, I'll be fine either way. Like, I really will be fine either way. And there's a lot of discussion nowadays about like careful chasing goals and thinking they'll change you or, or they'll, um, change everything. Um, no, I mean, if you're able to say you're an Olympic trials qualifier, um, it's something that you can, you know, hold for the rest of your life. Um, and at this point I can't, but I also know that I am fine. I was always going to be fine without it. Um, and in many ways I have so much respect for that level of running that it was, I had, I had to come to a resolution that it was okay that I wanted it and that I didn't necessarily think I belonged. Um, I knew I could potentially do it and it didn't mean that, um, it was going to define me. Well, overwhelmingly hard efforts can provide and give character, but they also oftentimes can reveal it. And if this is you exposed, it definitely shows the character that you have and it's a monumental one. So thank you so much, Peter, for sharing this entire journey with us today. Uh, obviously there, there's more to share and you've written so much about it, but I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for everything you've done for the running community and for sharing it here. Thank you so much. Thanks for your work. Peter, thanks again for coming on the show. My goodness, that was uh, that was so just moving. I, I, there are so many adjectives I could use, but ultimately, I just want to express gratitude and thanks, not only for coming on this show, but for everything you're doing in the running community. It really makes all of us better, and we cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much for listening, rating, and reviewing the podcast. I really appreciate it. We're going to do a lot of post-CIM stuff. Uh, up until January, um, you know, right now we've got a couple more weeks left in 2019. We're going to do a lot of CIM stuff and then we'll dive back in to some of our more regularly scheduled, uh, conversations with the, with the, uh, athletes we've been following all year. I have, uh, two special episodes that I can't wait to deliver at the beginning of January. More on them later and, uh, just a lot more good stuff. So make sure you subscribe to the show so you can keep abreast of all the things that we're doing. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution.